This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. On today's podcast, we're going to look back at the Argentinian round of World Superbikes. Steve English, Charlie has got Gordon Ritchie on the pod today. And Gordon, I'm going to come to you straight away because... Uh, you know, you were the only journalist heading out to Argentina, the only freelance journal heading out there, and uh, it was quite the trek for everyone. But it's always an adventure worth having. Yeah, it's a it's a total unique place. The atmosphere is unbelievable with the mountains in the background. It's kind of like Barber Motorsport Park, except it's absolutely nothing like Barber Motorsports Park, which is also surrounded by mountains. It's absolutely its own place. Um, Argentina is kind of like a very chaotic version of Spain. Um, which is good and bad and, and generally good. Um, some of the nicest people I ever meet. But yeah, it, as a race goes, it's uh, it was great. It's an amazing thing to do, but that is harder to get to. Some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, um, that's obviously not including Charlie Hescott. But uh, Charlie, San Juan to Valencia for you, it's uh, one extreme to the other really, isn't it? I just want to point out actually that Argentina might be a long way, but it's still easier to get to than Magni <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not seeing that but anyway that's fine oh yeah I see what you mean right I'm with you yeah yeah it's less trauma great. I'll tell you what it's less traumatic getting to Argentina than it is to get to Magnico that is to drive. Yeah, knock, knock back a, a couple of Valiums on the way down Charlie a sleeping tablet it's all good yeah but uh, Valencia for you now next weekend Charlie obviously the last MotoGP race this season and then you've got Indonesia and Australia so it's a busy stretch you'll probably have earned another holiday by the end of this run well, I haven't just got back from the CV in Valencia, Steve, so I think it's as, I'm certainly no more busy than you. But yeah, it's a bit of a, um, it takes a bit of time to get your head around having done World Super, last few rounds of World Superbikes and now having to try and get my head around MotoGP. But the most important thing about obviously the Valencia round is that it doesn't look like it's going to rain, which is a game changer because <laughs> some of the most miserable times of my yeah. entire career have been spent walking into the compound of Valencia on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday morning and being soaked to the skin before you've even walked in the door. Obviously enough, Charlie, if you're looking to get yourself up to speed for Valencia, there will be a Valencia preview from the Paddock Pass podcast coming out in the next couple of days as well. And then there's also there's also Patreon for uh, the Paddock Notes show as well, just to keep you up to date, Folly. That's the Bible that we all live by. And I mean, we all live by David Emmett, Motor Matters and the uh, Paddock Pass podcast. If it wasn't for that, none of us would know anything. Well, I tell you what, it's a good thing that we've got uh, Adam, Dave and Neil keeping everyone up to date because whenever I jump onto that show now, I find it really interesting just to be able to to get myself fully back up to speed on MotoGP. It's different whenever you're used to being full-time in, in superbikes these days. But we've got a busy show planned for today because we got a Rental Street Sessions interview with a Rubai T Ducati rider, Michael Ruben Rinaldi. I recorded that a couple of rounds ago in Portimao and uh, we're going to be able to use that in this week's show. Rinaldi, quite an interesting topic just because it had come just after he'd been confirmed as remaining as a factory Ducati rider. So we'll get 10 minutes with Michael at the end of this show. But there is an awful lot for us to cover as well because, Gordo, let's just uh, let's say it like it is. Alvaro Bautista's got one hand on the World Championship now. Could well wrap it up race one in Indonesia. But in all likelihood, it'll be Sunday in Indonesia when Ducati finally has their first World Champion since Carlos Checa. Yeah, it's been an amazing second part of the season. Um, the beginning of the season, it was like one rider in dominance, Top right couldn't buy a win. Um, and then all of a sudden, once everything got clicked in, and once I think more than anything, the circuit started suiting the Ducati more than anything else, that was it. 
it was just power on and time to go. Um, very different from 2019. Massive difference from 2019 when it was a complete opposite way, where the first half of the season we was just about unbeatable, and the second half of the season it fell apart. Um, it would have to be some falling apart from now to the end of the season for anything other than a Alvaro and Ducati World Championship. And you know it's overdue. You could we could talk about this for a long time, but it's certainly an overdue situation that Ducati are going to win the World Championship. Um, because there were a lot of good riders and the chance to do it. It just shows you how tough an opposition they were up against in Jonathan and Kawasaki and then last year, top rack in Yamaha. But looks that way, it looks like there's only one way for it to go now. Yeah, because Charlie, in, in our show notes before um, starting this, we did have one of our topics of can anything stop Ducati and Alvaro now? And realistically, nothing's going to stop them. But um, we had uh, we had a good chat on Sunday night. We were on the same flight out of San Juan on Sunday night, and we had a good chat with a, a few Ducati personnel. And there was uh, a few moments where almost um, our intelligence was being insulted as we stand there looking at what we've seen over the course. Easily done. Easily done. Easily done. There's not that many IQ points to rub between the two of us. But it did feel like Ducati are just they're they're. protesting too much really like it's quite clear when you watch the races there is a significant advantage but that doesn't take anything away from them they've done a fantastic job they've built the best bike Bautista's been a fantastic rider this year hasn't made any mistakes really and he's going to be a deserving world champion but it's pretty clear once again in Argentina we saw just how big of an advantage that you can have with the with that bike. And it's not just about Alvaro because we saw it in race one, Axel Bassani able to keep Jonathan Ray behind them for what, all but a lap and a half. And we saw in race two the same thing happening with the BMW riders trying to chase down Ducatis. It did just show us again that there's a lot more margin for error with the Ducati than there is maybe with some of the other bikes out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and it's basically, look, uh, some people have been saying that, you know, people are criticizing Alvaro or criticizing Ducati, and that's just simply not the case. Ducati and Alvaro have done a 100% job this year. They should get everything that they're due. The, the only the only issue with it, I think, for all of us is that um, Alvaro's got an advantage on the straight, and that means that, and that gives him a, a slightly, it's not unfair, it's absolutely fair. This is what Ducati and Alvaro have done. But um, at the end of the day, right, we all want the same thing and we want the racing like it was last year and like it was for the first sort of five rounds of this year, which is tooth and nail at the front, best riders scrapping it out. And for the last one, two, three, four, five, five odd rounds, maybe the next six or seven rounds, any track with a straight on it now, Alvarez got an advantage. And that's what we want. No one's saying that they should be penalised. No one should be saying that they should be have power taken off. They they deserve every single thing they get for this world championship, which they're going to win and they're going to blitz it. And absolutely, I could not give them more credit. And, and no, there's absolutely nothing to say they're not completely deserving of it. But we just want to make sure that next year we want World Superbikes to be absolutely flying again, like it was last year and at the beginning of this year. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, because. Gordo, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive to say that you want to have all three manufacturers at the front really closely matched as well as BMW and Honda. You want to see that levelling, but Ducati and Batista have done a fantastic job this year. Those two points can be made at the same time. And I think that's something that, and obviously enough, when you when you look at fans' perspective, fan is short for fanatic. So if you're a Ducati fan, you don't want to see this run end. You want to see it where Pekka Bagnaia is going to win the World Championship in Valencia, and then the next weekend, Ducati's going to win a World Championship in Superbikes again. But 
as an actual fan of racing, you also want to see it where you've got the best rider ever, Jonathan Ray, Top Rack Razgidioglu, probably the most talented rider in the world right now, and then Alvaro Bautista on the Ducati. You want to see all three of them really competitive because even though the lap times are very similar between the three bikes, we don't race in the time trial world. We race on a racetrack and the advantages of the Ducati probably just make that a little bit too much of an advantage. Yes, um, it's easy to overtake in the straight. Um, when you're carrying a mass of Alvaro, when you've got the experience of Alvaro, he's doing everything right. That's where we go back to what you guys are talking about. You can't criticise him or Ducati or anybody. They are maximising the best aspects of their bike. What's changed from uh, 19 is that they've now worked out enough about the bike where they're not going off beam. They're not stopping the bike working in the corners. They're not giving Alvaro unexpected crashes and he's not overconfident riding to create unexpected crashes, which is what started happening in 19, and that's why it went all, all wrong. If Alvaro had stayed on Ducati and not had those problems, we would be in the fourth year of a Ducati World Championship, probably, because he was clearly better in 19 than anybody else. And then it wasn't. What's happened this year is that all the little things that the Ducati wasn't so good at, they've worked on, made it better, they made it good enough in the corners, they've made it agile enough. It, it is harder work for Alvaro, and the small stuff because he's got to push the bike around and it's a very powerful bike and everything else it's a V4 so it works well it should work well in every way um, V4 is always an, it's an argument there but it's a very good package for racing um, so when you add all that together with the motivation that everybody's got um, I think the hardest thing Ducati have had to do this year is actually sit on their hands and not do things because they had a winter set up then they went and they a different setup, and then they've gone back to the one they had in winter testing more recently, which might also be the difference in why they're having an even better second half of the season than they did in the first half of the season. They've now got a setup package. They always want to do more. They just want to make the bike better. They want everything to be better, better, better all the time. They basically now are just sitting there, as I say, on their hands saying, just run it the way it is. They're clicks now. They've been clicks for a while now since they went back to that kind of winter setting since, what would that have been, Mizano, I think they said. And now they're just click here, click there, go and ride the bike of our, okay, we'll choose this tyre and try that. You know, but they're not really messing about with the bike anymore, which is a lesson for them all. The bike was always this good from when it was introduced. And what they've got now is a guy that's small enough, more capable, and that key advantage that he has, like something like Reading didn't have, who must be 25, 30 kilos heavier than him, to go powering past people on the straight. Because a lot of people are asking, well, why? how come the previous Ducati guys couldn't do it? Well, they didn't have that advantage. This is an Alvaro advantage as well as anything else. Yeah, I mean, I did speak to Alvaro about that, about how much the bike had changed over the season. And he said not one jot. He said they went to a winter test. Um, and they, they tried a, a, a lot of stuff. They turned up arrogant. They put on their original they put on the, the settings that they didn't have from the winter test. They went back to their original Aragon settings and it has not moved like like um, Gordo said. It's barely a click here and barely a click there. All season. That's very similar to what we saw with Ray and Kawasaki for a long time because the Kawasaki was a bike that in 2014, 15, 16, 17 had a really wide operating window. If it was really hot or really cold, that was the bike, the bike to be on. Whereas now, that's the Ducati and it means that even though the Kawasaki is relatively similar to what it was like three or four years ago, 
it's now where you're having to ride it in such a different way because it's chasing the Ducati that its operating window is now narrower and narrower. So for Alvaro, he's doing exactly what you're supposed to do, which is just turn up, roll out down pit lane on Friday practice, make sure everything's working okay, and then get the most out of it. But we we did open up things to uh, some of our listeners as well for some questions and Obviously, one of the big questions coming in is about the weight limits. This is one of the big discussion points that we're having on a pretty consistent basis right now in World Superbikes. We saw Scott Redding making a, a post on Instagram talking about the weight difference he had between himself and Bautista. Scott saying that in all of his racing gear, his leathers, his helmet, gloves, boots, all that, he's 93 kilos, which probably isn't that accurate because usually all your all your equipment weighs about eight kilos for most of the riders. So for Scott Redding, six foot, being 83, 84, 85 kilos probably sounds about right. So he's giving up all that mass to uh, Alvaro Bautista, and that's made the big difference for him. And Gordo, this is obviously the big talking point. We got in, I think, three or four different questions from people just asking us about the weight limits. But what's your opinion on the weight limit discussion and the debate about whether whether or not we need to introduce it for the superbike class? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're talking about doing it with the rider. It's not per manufacturer. You would have to do that rider by rider. So there's a combined rider and machine uh, soft, hard, whatever limit you want to call it. You know, it's never, it's not going to be the same weight for everybody because you can't stick thirty-five kilos on the bike and make it rideable. It's just not going to work for anybody. Um, so there has to be a kind of trimming. You have to bring everything down a bit, rider by rider. Um, that, that's always the problem. Loris Baz is taller than me, and he's always had a problem with, with racing with that. Uh, his skill makes up for it, but. Should we bring in some kind of differential like horse racing? Well, yeah, if we can and we can do it safely and we're not having to put 10 kilo weights on people's bikes and totally destroying their ability to go around corners. is All we need to do is trim it, make it a bit fairer. So it might not be everything to do with weight. It might be trim the top revs. And, and when you're in those top three or four gears, let the bike accelerate as well as it can, but stop it at the top end. The, the weight would be an easy way of doing it if... Alvaro was 15 kilos or 10 kilos heavier. Charlie, just looking at it as well, like um, obviously weight makes a big difference and that's why you're so much faster in a go-kart than me, I'm, I'm presuming. So uh, clearly we need to just uh, weigh you down as well when we go to the go to the car. I have better leverage than you, Steve, I remember. And because you're heavier, you, you heat up the tyres better. Yeah, critical in the <laughs> rental car world championship that we have. But when you look at it as well, Charlie, like um, obviously... One of the big things that we're seeing an awful lot of people mention, and Alvaro's used this as his defense, he's too short to be a basketball player. Does that mean the tall players should have their legs cut off? And this just seems, this seems like a ridiculous argument to me whenever we're in, in a world where Moto3, Moto2, 300, Supersport all have a minimum weight limit. Obviously, MotoGP doesn't, but MotoGP is a full-on prototype class. The Superbike World Championship has changed over the last few years to be about parity. It's about making sure that all five manufacturers can be competitive. This is a situation where Ducati have a very distinct advantage. And it's not just Alvaro. It's when you look at all the battles that happen with Ducati riders, a lot of the time they can exit the corner, whack open the gas, and it just gives them that little bit more of a defense compared to other riders. Obviously, Alvaro, with his weight and his size, can get in behind the bubble a little bit better, and it does give him a little bit of an advantage compared to the other Ducati riders, because even talking to Rinaldi about it, he said that on the back straight in Argentina, he was losing about a quarter of a second to Bautista as well. Yeah, Top Rack agrees with that as well. He says that actually Bautista's bike is considerably quicker than uh, Bassani's as well, but I think 
one of the things to remember is that there isn't a silver bullet to this. There is no easy fix. There's no rule that you can make that's going to make everything okay for next year. So I think it's, for me, it should be more being looked along. It, the championship needs finessing and it needs finessing more regularly than they're doing it now. So that when we do get the situation with Alvaro, um, it needs finessing a little bit and whether that's performance related. I mean, we used to have, you know, we have got an algorithm where, <clears throat> you know, if one manufacturer suddenly, you know, starts doing better than everybody else, they can pull the revs back off it. They've got a gold rule. They've got all these things. Maybe they need smaller changes more often so that as harsh as it sounds for Alvaro, and I know that Alvaro would obviously rail against this, but he does have a small advantage. He does have an advantage by being small. And therefore, I don't see why that can't be slightly finessed. Whether, however they do that, it doesn't have to affect Rinaldi or Bassani because they're all fine. I don't know why that can't be finessed. And then the same thing, like a super concessions are working to bring BMW and Honda slightly closer to the front edge. Why can't that be done at the other end of bringing, you know, riders that have an advantage slightly further back? I don't see why it has to do with just the manufacturer. The, the bikes are all fairly, you know, the bikes aren't a million miles away from each other at the moment. They are pretty close, um, depending on what rider you've got on it. But it's the rider weights um, that are the issue at the moment. So I think it's more of a case of finding a way of finessing the championship and having something that, look, at the end of the day, right, I, I hate saying this because I watch um, British touring cars and they have so many rules about this guy's carrying ballast. He got poles, so he's now got an extra kilo and he's now sitting on the right-hand side and his steering wheel's pointing backwards for all these things and I hate that because it's the less complicated the, the, the beauty of bike racing is you all set off at the same time first one across the line love that okay so the more you implement the stuff where you have to say well Bautista is winning but you know Bautista's not winning because he's now got two kilos of weight because he did this in Magna Core I hate that but at the same time I think that we have to the most important thing is the show especially if MotoGP which I think might be going into a bit of a lull over the next couple of years well Superbikes we've got such incredible riders in it now is the time to make sure above all else that the show is fantastic yeah and the the comparison to british touring cars is quite interesting as well as charity because they change their weight limit through a race weekend depending on what's happening in race one race two and then into race three so you tend to see it an awful lot of times where teams strategize how they're actually going to attack a weekend so that they can do their best over the course of a three race weekend for the most points and it it all becomes very it's complicated, hard to follow, very isn't it? To yeah. For the punter, exactly. for your average viewer, it's almost impossible to follow. Yeah, every every time you talk about a driver, it comes with a caveat, and actually, that's not the way to do it. The, the whole point is, you want to keep it as simple as possible. For, you know, guys leave, and the first one across the line wins, and that should be that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what the goal for Scott Smart, in particular, the FAM technical director, is going to be because Scott wants to have it where you were able to make the changes and it will probably be still every three rounds they can make an assessment. And I think they probably need to be a little bit more reactive to those three rounds. And that's where changing how they're going to make the, the concession points is going to be a big thing as well. And Gordo, this is obviously a, a big topic that's been talked over and over again in the paddock about the super concessions with adding it being the you know, your top five positions rather than just the uh, podium credits yeah um i think the the super concessions thing addresses a lot of those uh, issues if you've got a major problem with your bike what we've are in now is it doesn't matter how often you do the check on performance the performance levels are not being reached when there's a yamaha second a kawasaki third or a kawasaki second and a yamaha third you're not going to reach the threshold of having to pull somebody back if you had three ducatis and three ducatis and three ducatis then everybody would go right fine too much 
but you're not having that, and that's the problem. And it, the other argument, well, there's a hundred arguments that they can't bring into this, and we won't go into them all. But the problem is that for two years they've had the same ability to create the power and everything else. The only difference is Alvaro. So unless we literally say, Alvaro, sorry, you're too small and too fast, then give him the thing we don't want, what Charlie was saying there we don't want, is that each individual rider gets punished more and more the more successful they are, um, which I agree with. I think it should be a kind of more up to the riders to, to, to find a way. But balancing it, absolutely. I think doing it more frequently isn't going to make any difference when you've got riders of the quality of Top Rack and Jonathan putting in the results that they do. They might be being beaten by half a second, five seconds, 20 seconds, but it's only recently that Alvaro started winning most of the races and he's still not doing it. He didn't win both all the three races in Argentina. So it's difficult to be the lawgivers there and say, ah, you know, there's obviously a problem here because you have to do exceptional performances to win a World Championship race at that level, whether you're Alvaro, Jonathan or Toprak. And yeah, we do need to find a way to stop this being a permanent issue. Um, but it is, it's difficult because it is only Alvaro. He's also the only one that can get the bike around the rest of the racetrack to be in a position to be sitting on the back wheel of Jonathan Ray or Toprak and then go past on the power. Raldi can't do it. Bassani can't do it. They're nearly there. But when you're at that level, it's all nearly theirs. But you look at where the other Kawasaki is, it's actually better now than it was at the beginning of the season. And it's actually got a fairly decent disadvantage because of its age, because of its engine power and everything else. Locatelli's not frightening the guys. You know, Gerloff's not frightening the guys. Yeah, but hold on. You can't compare all of the riders that you just said with Jonathan Rand Toprak. They don't compare. They're not as good a riders. That, that that's an absolute. That's d- what I'm that saying. That is a fact. But Jonathan that's what I'm Ray, saying. Jonathan Ray. So so so, the issue is is that you've got Jonathan Ray and Toprak, who are the best riders that we've ever had in World Superbikes in the modern era. Call it however you want to say it. Right? They are the cream of the crop. Yeah. And they are a lot of the time there now now not able to lay a glove on Alvaro, and that's not cool. Toprak threw his bike at Alvaro basically in race one at Villicum. Toprak's only. He, there was such desperation in that first in that first lap, yeah, that Top Rack knew that if Alvaro had one corner, if he gave him a corner, literally a corner, that was it, race over, and it was second place. Yes, yes. So I'm not saying this should, nothing should be done, Charlie. I'm not saying nothing should be done. I'm saying the problem is that when you try and bring in any kind of set of rules that aren't just, sorry, mate, you're too fast, which is what you're trying to avoid, is what you've been saying you've been trying yeah, to avoid. I agree, then, yeah, no, 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 then, I agree, Then, yeah. then you, are, you are down to rider by rider, Weekend by weekend, uh, you know, touring car rules. I don't know the exact mm. the, the exact way they're operating, but I do understand what they what they do. But you can do that on a car quite easily. You can't do that on a bike. You can't suddenly give somebody ten kilos on the motorbike and say, no, right, there you go, because then your balance is all gone. You'll have to do an extra practice session to work out where to put it. You end up making a guy ten. Bayless a few years ago, didn't they? And it didn't work anyway. Didn't they start loading on? Alistair Bayliss's bike a, lo- a long time ago, I remember him famously saying it was about, I think they were going to give him something like three pounds. And he said, hey, I can crap three, pr- three pounds in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't no, make they, any they did, difference. They, play, <laughs> they have played with the differential weights before. That was a balancing rule before. Uh, engine intake orifices, different sizes, because all the bikes were different capacities. Now we're in a situation where one manufacturer's spent a lot of money in R&D and it's what they do 
Ducati are a high-performance motorcycle brand, and that's it. You know, other than T-shirts, that's what they build and make. Whether it's off-road, on-road, it doesn't matter. They're a performance brand like Ferrari or something, Lamborghini. Um, and the other companies kind of aren't. What we should do is get everybody to build a 40 grand special, like we did in the first years of World Superbike, Yamaha mm-hmm. OW1, etc. Go through them all if you like. Ducati, Ducati's 851 was a special, only for World Superbike. RC30 was a special, only for World Superbike. Because you probably sell every one of the 500 you had to make. Because that's how weird it is now, you know? All right, I've got a question for you both. Do you think next year, okay, if you're, you, you've got the God rule, do you think next year it's worth trying to take an average between the riders and trying to, trying to level out the weight difference between the riders? Do you think that's worth the, uh, something that should be tried? Even if it fails, do you think it should be tried? I think it should be done, but let's not dream that we're going to get every single bike and rider at the same weight on the track at the same time. That's just not going to work. Surely you take it. I mean, I don't. Uh, surely you take an average. You take the average between Loris and Scott and Alvaro and say this is this is what we think that you, you know you're effectively you're giving them a minimum bike and rider weight limit. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing. It's not where anyone wants to see it, where an outlier is what creates the rule. And Scott Redding is just as much of an outlier as Alvaro Bautista. If Bautista weighs 55 kilos in his civvies, let's say 65 kilos on a bike, and Scott weighs 90 kilos on a bike, I don't want to see Alvaro suddenly having 25 kilos added to him. But I want to see it where there's something added to take him, maybe even if it's just closer towards, like at the end of the day... you know, Ray or whoever you want to look at is a much more normal sized rider. He's not, he's not tiny. He's not massive. He's just a normal, normal everyday MotoGP superbike rider. So something around that kind of balance, I think would be needed. But the other side of that coin is Charlie, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to see it where we don't get top rack having to ride like, like his life depends on it at every single corner? Because I'll tell you what, it's pretty enjoyable to watch Top Rack have to ride like that. It's enjoyable to watch Johnny ride like that as no, well. No, no, yeah, no, I agree. But he's got to have a chance of winning, and he doesn't have a chance of winning at the moment. Any, any circuit with a straight on, Top Rack can't win, nor can Jonathan, nor can anybody else, actually, for that matter. Only Arrow can, and that, and it's just, that's the, that's the issue. But also, you could look at it from the other end of the spectrum and say, do you know what? Screw Alvaro. What we need to do is we need to make sure Scott Redding, Loris Baz, who are both fantastic riders have more of a chance look at it from the other end of the spectrum instead of pegging our back let's get the let's get some of the other creamy brilliant riders luquona those guys why why are we concentrating so much on alvaro and, and watching these guys languishing back down in the second tier when they shouldn't be they should be up it shouldn't be a battle for three it should be a battle for eight so instead of what we should maybe do next year then is not have super concessions let's have super penalties super penalties is that what they used to be is that what there used to be in MLS in, in in America when they used to have to have the striker run from the halfway line, trying not to fall over round the keeper and then try and score the goal? We don't want super penalties, Gordon. We just want regular penalties. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what MLS is. I'm assuming American soccer. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Though. Major League Soccer. Um, we're we're going to take a quick break on the podcast now, though, just uh, to to come back after it. We're going to have Michael Rubin Rinaldi chatting to us on a Rental Street Session interview. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, you'll hear from Rinaldi, and then we'll come back just to sum up the the other news. There was actually other news from Argentina as well.
Renthal Street Ultralight Rear Sprockets are CNC machined from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Michael Rubin Rinaldi joining us on a Renthal Street session on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Michael, you've obviously just been confirmed to remain at Ducati for next year. But how do you view the season as going up to this point? Well, it's been uh, it's been a um, difficult first part of the season, I can say. And uh, then since uh, Misano and Misano test, we have found uh, our really good, good base. I can say I can find the speed uh, in every track uh, that uh, we we face after Misano, and uh, this is so good because uh, you know, for example, find a podium and also leading for a lot of laps in Manicur never happened to me in every category. So it means that now we have a really good speed, and also two weeks after we make podium in uh, in Barcelona and uh, yeah so really really happy uh, we start uh, down and uh, we are going up and uh, this is always always important and also to have the uh, signed the the contract for the next year as well is something that help yeah we're recording this before the Portimao weekend but when I think back to January when we spoke here you said that the goal this year was to make sure that you were much more consistent it wasn't about winning one week and being you know fighting for a few points the next week it was all about making sure that you could be in that third fourth fifth sixth position on a more regular basis and you've you've done that for most of the season fourth in the championship and you know after those first couple of rounds been very consistent Yes, our goal was this, and uh, I expected to reach that uh, a little bit early um, this year. But uh, you know, at the end, uh, we find uh, we find what what we we was looking for, and uh, yeah, so I'm pretty pretty happy about that. But you can always improve uh, until you win, 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 and uh, so we are in a in a consistently uh, growing and uh, cons- consistently uh, willing to, to improve. How difficult is it for you as a rider? Because in World Superbikes, it's super competitive now. From 1st to 14th, we have a lot of really good riders, good bikes, good teams. That To be consistent is tough now. Yes. Uh, one thing that uh, this year teach me is that uh, uh, for sure it's tough, but you cannot focus on how hard it is. Uh, your job or how hard it is to try to fight for for the podium or for the win you can only try to be the best uh, version of you and uh, be calm be calm because uh, if you rush trying to to reach something uh, you make mistakes and uh, sometimes you just need to to be cold you need to to focus and uh, uh, be sure about your uh, talents, about your what you can do, and uh, never sit, uh, uh, but always uh, try to reach the goal. Um, even if uh, you are, I don't know, first in a practice on Friday, that mean, means nothing. So stay calm, be cold, and try to improve. 
So this is something that the DCR teaches me. And always in when you are struggling, uh, be calm because uh, you have proved that you can win races. So yeah, this year I'm more, I think, adult uh, comparing to the last year. And uh, this gives me uh, really, really strength when I'm in the truck. A lot of football managers always say that you need to have a process and you trust the process rather than the end result. Is, this is the mentality that you have now as opposed to in the past where maybe it was about that one weekend and maybe at Mizano everything goes really well and then the next week can be tough. Now you have your own process for week in, week out? Yes. Um, the problem is that... Uh, Saying is one thing, understand uh, uh, on your skin is another thing, uh, and uh, you just need to 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 pass through uh, difficult uh, moments uh, to understand uh, how to to don't be there again. And uh, yes, so so now I'm in a process where uh, I'm really good with my bike. I'm really, uh, you know, happy uh, inside. Uh, also outside of racing, I'm really, really, uh, you know, happy. And um, this is something maybe... Uh, can can be temporary you cannot always be you know with a contract signed uh, with everything is going good but uh, uh, you know two months ago I had a contract and uh, you know I had also a personal uh, you know issue at home and um, so now I appreciate more every every moment of my life and uh, and now for sure if in the future will happen again this I will manage the situation in a better way Obviously, for your time at Ducati, you've had Alvaro as a teammate this year, Scott as a teammate, Chaz on the same bike to to compare a lot of, of information to. These are three of the best riders we've seen in superbikes over the last few years. What have you learned from each of them? Um, well, everybody is uh, so different, you know. Um, Chaz is one of a kind, uh, riding the bike, uh, and um, but he's... I think the best, the best human uh, rider I ever seen. He have big heart, and uh, Scott is, um, you know, really a tough, tough guy. You can say, uh, but as well, he is really, really friendly. Uh, but he's crazy sometimes, you know. And Alvaro is uh, the one that uh, you know is. Uh, Always respect his training program. Always respect every every you know in media events. Everything he do, he's on schedule. Is like a, a, you know in Italy we say like you are a Deutschland, you know. So the appointment is uh, one p.m. He's there uh, five minutes before. Mm, you need to train uh, five times a week at five a.m. He will do that, you know. So these two riders are. Mm, really different mm, between them, but uh, every one of them have uh, mm, his uh, strength point. And uh, also, I compare myself to them. I really different uh, to them, you know. Maybe in some aspect you are similar to one, in the other aspect you are similar to the other ones. But uh, at the end, everybody is different. And uh, I think uh, I think that um, this is because we we are as human different and uh, you can always try to to still 
something from the others, but uh, you need to be you. What do you say whenever it is the 5 a.m. training for five days in a row? I think uh, he is a uh, is uh, like uh, obsession with the, with these, and uh, I can understand that, but uh, doesn't work for me because <laughs> stress too much. Uh, I, I train as well. I'm one rider that train a lot, but I do that uh, maybe in uh, in the afternoon or late morning, not five a.m. <laughs> so you were you were definitely more Italian than German. Yeah, yeah, I, I really I really like to sleep as well. <laughs> for for you, Michael, as well. Like we saw in Aragon round one, yourself, Top Rack, Johnny have a really big battle, and after that, you said the next time I am in a fight with them. I will fight just like this. And I think Mizano maybe was the round where we saw this, but there, there has been times when you have said, right, this is the way that we have to battle at the front and you are willing to get the elbows out and, and be aggressive. Um, yes, you need to uh, not to be dirty, but to to be, to show that you are there and uh, you are not uh, a one that gets scared. So, um, now in the battle, you know I'm not dirty, but I'm there. So uh, if you wanna, if you wanna take my position, we, you will uh, take uh, take sweat to do that. Obviously, Magni, we saw this as well, and like you said earlier, this was the first time in your career you were really fast in Magni Core. This shows a lot of the progress for you as well. And like you said, to get to the front is important. To stay there and to fight with the guys is is even more important. Yes, it's uh, so important to to be there always and uh, to fight hard because, for example, I finished second in Manicure, but uh, was a completely different uh, race compared to Catalonia where I finished second because in Manicure I had to push from the first corner to the last corner 120% to put my pace because uh, the tire wasn't dropping and... Uh, you were able to push uh, always. So also in the fight, you are do giving your 120. In, in Barcelona, not, because in Barcelona, you need to manage the tire. So you can uh, you save energy. And uh, it's like more, you know, um, when you're comparing a, a sprint race of, uh, like, for example, 100 meters and a marathon. For both are running, but both uh, you need to manage in a different way. So at the end, the result was the same, but uh, uh, you need to adapt really, really quickly to to the situation. Okay, thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank Good you. luck the rest of the season. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. Nice to hear from Michael Rubin Rinaldi about his season up to this point. It's obviously been a, a tricky season at times for Rinaldi, but we've seen some some good moments from him as well. So nice to have him on the pod. Just um, whenever we were uh, talking at the end of the first part of the show, we were talking about the penalties, the concessions, this, that and the other. It does lead to quite a few questions that we actually had uh, coming in as well. And one of the questions was about the super concessions and trying to make the Honda more competitive, for instance. And it's where there's that 
philosophical change, Gordo, between trying to peg teams back and then trying to give them a step up. And it's a little bit like what you were saying, Charlie. You want to see it where BMW with a Baz and a Reading are able to find something to make them more competitive. The super concessions, Gordo, that's going to be about trying to find some chassis balances to help those manufacturers. Obviously, right now, it looks like Honda are going to be able to make a bigger step forward than BMW. Even next weekend in in Indonesia, they're going to use their super concessions for the first time, potentially. Well, they're already taking the headstock angle is further forward than their current regulations allow, I believe. But what they have to do next and what they should be bringing to the next uh, race meeting, if it's ready in time, is a machined chassis. So the same chassis, but they're going to machine the headstock further forward so that they can then get the angles they know that they need to get the bike to go around corners properly. Every Honda rider that's been there, from Alvaro and Haslam, um, I've all said the same, and even the guys that are there now, they're more diplomatic about it. But ultimately, Alvaro always said, every time he tried to go faster, Honda, he felt was on the edge of a crash. That is all down to chassis setup. And what they found was that under the current rules, they reached the limit of the adjustment of the front end and the rear, uh, the rear uh, pivot point. So what they want to do is change those way beyond what the current rules allow. You're allowed plus three mil in one direction and minus three in another. Well, they need much more than that. That bike is clearly not being developed only for World Superbike. It's been developed for different tyres and different championships. But it needs to have geometry changes. They have convinced even their rivals. Remember, that's the most important thing about super concessions. All their rivals have agreed and understood that Honda's got a problem that cannot be fixed inside the current rules therefore they're allowing Honda or themselves in the future because they're all going to get designate a single super concession if they ever reach the point of being uncompetitive enough where it kicks in and Honda are in that position now so that will make a big difference why did and, and uh, somebody said why did we uh, why was Alvaro not disappearing off because that Honda is just as fast as anything out there engine wise why was he not doing it last year? Because every time he tried to go fast, he either thought he was going to fall off or did fall off. So you have to, he'd ride, 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 ride. Where's the limit? Oh, there was a limit. The limit was falling off um, because he's taken it to such an extreme place, chasing the fastest guys in the world. Um, and on the tyres that they're on, different from the Bridgestones to be used for Suzuka. So there's so many, this is where we are now. The, nu- the nuances are so small now. That's what you, but that's what you need. We're talking about half of one percent makes you a winner or a contender or twelfth. That's it now. That's how things are. Just to take on from that, Gordo, because it is one of the interesting things. Whenever you hear the argument against trying to peg back Ducati just because of the top speed thing, because it's not just the top speed. They've obviously got a very good chassis, a good bike, a really good overall package. Top speed isn't everything. It's not a drag racing championship. This. It is about being as competitive as you can all the way around the racetrack. The Honda wasn't at that point. The Ducati is, and that's where Bautista can really take full advantage of it. And Charlie, I know, I know this is one of the, this is one of the big things that when when you talk to to people about trying to bring in regulation changes, this is something that Ducati make a big deal about. You know, the fact that Jonathan Ray has more pole positions this year than anyone else. Top racks on the front row every every race almost. I think it's been front row all but one. You know, lap records are being smashed every weekend and most of the time by other manufacturers. But the Ducati just in race trim 
just has that overall package that for a 25 lap race, it just comes out a little bit easier for the Ducati riders than for some of the other manufacturers. And I say that across the board because, you know, people talk about why isn't Rinaldi winning races? Why isn't Bassani winning races? It's also possible that Bautista's just a better rider than those guys. But in race conditions, if you put everyone out there on a truth serum, they're all going to say that they want to be on the Ducati. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Really. I think Bassani and Ronaldo are absolutely where they should be in the championship. I mean, they're both progressing really well. They're going to be, they're definitely going to be better next year. They're doing really well. Bautista is a little bit different. Now, you can, you know, forget about how well, you know, it's, it's hard. To, look, you can't measure how well a rider, how good a rider is. But what you can do is you can measure how heavy he is <clears throat> and you can see what the ramifications of that are. And the ramifications are is that Alvaro gets onto a straight and does something that no other rider in the championship can do. And that is an advantage. And that's, you can go with, like, you know, uh, the only thing that we haven't heard, right, which I'm going to try and do in Indonesia is we haven't heard Dorna's plans. So I'm going to try and get Garoy Levia and find out where Dorna sit on these things, when it's going to happen, because obviously we're here in the... We know that we had the MSMA all have to agree in the FIM and all these bodies have to, you know, do whatever they have to do. But the fact remains is they're talking about 2024 now, which is actually, that seems ridiculous to me when actually, you know, they can make the changes, whatever changes that they deem. They've got to try something or do we just carry on and we'll go, all right, Alvaro turns up at, um, you know, Philip Island next year and that's it. And we go, do you know what we're trying to avoid? And, I, and I'm not being disrespectful to Jonathan because Jonathan and Kawasaki were amazing for six years. But we don't want that again. We don't want anybody dominating anything because we've just had two years where we've seen some of the best racing I've ever seen in my life. And we're so close. We're on the cusp of keeping that for another couple of years. And if we keep that for another couple of years, we all keep our jobs. The championship is fantastic. Everybody's happy. We bring in new people. <laughs> Everybody stays employed. We keep our jobs and we all get entertained and it's fantastic. And we've all got the best jobs in the world. Yeah. And it's trying to maintain that. For me, that's the important thing. And that, to me, is not a case of making a big change here or a little change there or whatever. It, it's about finessing it over the year. But it would be quite interesting to know exactly where Dorna are thinking, where you know when these changes should be made, what their plans are, what they're thinking. Uh, the 2024 thing you talk about, Charlie, seems the most realistic thing for the weight. But there's plenty that can be done. It's not just... I mean, if, they, if, if it's mass times acceleration, right to get you down the main straight, well, you take some of the acceleration off then. If you can't do anything about the mass now, well, you trim the top end. They trimmed the top end of the Kawasaki 1,150 revs or something and went over one winter. It's been done before. You know, if the Ducati's too fast, knock the Ducati off. And if we're talking about doing a minimum weight thing, then maybe you need to knock the revs off of one guy. That's it. Give him a different mark from the other one. Say, look, son, you know, sorry, you're just, you're 10 kilos lighter than your teammate and look what you can do with it. And don't forget aerodynamics. Part of the reason why Alvaro goes steaming past people, coming out of a corner behind him and you see him coming up really fast, that's all we do with weight and acceleration. But when it, he does have to wait until halfway down the straight and then goes past somebody, that's then, as well as everything else, aerodynamics. Because he's nothing to him. He's, the bike's riding as if there's no one on it. That's a massive advantage. He's actually helping with aerodynamics to take the air off the bubble down his back and onto the back seat. You know, um, it, it's, it's, that is, there's, there's lots of elements at play here. Let's not forget that. The other thing is, guaranteed Alvaro is more intelligent, more experienced than the other guys in red. 
because he can get the throttle open at the right time, work with the electronics, realise if I go this hard this early, I'll trek the tyre and all the millions of other dynamic things that are happening. That's why Alvaro's doing this. And no, so you talk about Scott and, and Chaz and all the other guys that have had the ride were really tall, big guys. But that's the difference between him and Bassani and him and Ronaldo. He's getting the bike to last all race long at the same pace, even when he's, he comes in and his tyres look a bit rough. He's still doing the same lap times. That is experience. That is a rider who understands I'm going to go half a percent less throttle out of this corner next lap because my tyre's going off. And you look at Bassani, how many times has Bassani had a good start of a race and dropped back at the end? That's experience. And you can't engineer that by rules or even engineering. That's down to the rider's head and hand when he's out on the racetrack. You can't buy that. You can only learn that. Alvaro's, what, 38 now? Going to be 38 in the winter. You know, he's been racing since he was a child. He's already a world champion. So that's why we should not get too steamed up about different advantages because no one can do what Alvaro can do. Yeah, because I think it's also worth saying as well, Gordo, that no one can do what Charlie does on a Friday as well. He goes out, he stands trackside and he's able to take in an awful lot of the action. Me, myself and yourself don't get that luxury, Charlie. And, and one of the things you always talk about when you come back in is just how early you see Alvaro get on the gas compared to some of the other riders. Yeah, I went and looked in, I went out in Villacombe and I went out in Portimao, still in a few places. And I'll tell you where you really notice it is in the first few laps of a free practice session when people are getting up to speed and Alvaro is having to lift all the time to stop running into the back of people. So I mean, I couldn't agree with Gordo more, is Alvaro's experience is, that's what makes, you know, this is, this is what compounds a tricky thing. Because Alvaro is incredible on the tyres. He's got so much experience. He's a fantastic rider. There is absolutely no doubt about it. But that machine is wicked with him on it. And actually, when you're out on the track, when you two are locked in your boxes where you absolutely should be kept, when I'm out on the track eating ice cream <laughs> and checking out the route, checking out what's going out on the track, actually, you can really see it. It's, it's visible and it's quite noticeable if you stand in the right places. Just before we finish up as well, at the end of this show, Gordo, just about BMW, because we've talked about Honda, a little bit about their super concessions, some uh, some chassis changes for them. BMW are also going to be able to take advantage of that, but they don't seem that they're making as significant a step with their bike as what Honda are going to be able to do or Honda are willing to do. And um, that's a bit of a shame, really, because when you look at BMW, they've got a new model coming out. They've got four top riders on the bike next year. You want to see them more and more competitive. Again, it's so close in world superbikes right now that even though they're only that small step behind, it's enough to leave them on the back foot more often than not. Um, I think the, this particular problem that BMW have got is that the chassis, the, literally the chassis they use, is not just designed as a race replica. You talk to the BMW dudes and they say, look, this thing also powers the flat bar touring bike. It's the same chassis. Is the back frame rails and, and other aspects of the chassis are designed not just as a road bike, which means it can't you can't have a small crash and the thing falls in half. That's just you wouldn't be able to sell that as a product in the road. But they're actually got stiffness and strength in certain parts of their chassis because it's a modular system to some degree. So they're having but you know, lots of people put cases on the back of them, etc. No one's doing it on a Panagali. You know, that's not happening a V4 a V4R. Um, you know, it's maybe not even happening on the Ninja. Um, or the R1, they've got different pack, they've got different um, expectations. So that's one of their particular problems. I think in terms of 
chassis are generally too stiff in certain planes nowadays for ideal ratios. Um, and I think your BMW might be the worst bike in the or the most difficult bike in that field for that reason. It's the most compromised base to start with a chassis. Kind of like the Triumph and Supersport. The Triumph and Supersport is easily the least racy chassis of all the bikes that are out there now. And it's more difficult for them. So I think that's BMW's part of their problem. So they'll 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 probably change more things in the chassis next year, either by super concession or by design of the new bike. That that was what I was going to ask you, Gordo, because that make that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, compared to what the the changes that Honda are making with their super concessions, obviously they're doing quite. They're not actually they're not physically changing the the chassis, but they're making building a more adjustment into it. Yeah, but they're doing it front and back. Whereas BMW look like they're just making a very small change just to build in a bit more flex into the main part of the no. frame. Is that correct? No. Yeah, no. Now, it, yeah. How, how the engine's mounted in the frame is how I've had it explained to me. It's how the the chassis and the, and the engine, which are all, you know, they all play a same part in the strength, the overall strength of the bike, um, has been changed. But next year, that they might already have permission to do more, but they haven't used it yet. That's where we need to find out. And BMW have been a little bit coy, strangely. Unlike them, <laughs> the two people are the most secretive about what they're doing are, are Honda and BMW. Basically, they try to be, um, and they're the two that need most of it. That's what they. That's what they need. You know, they, they, we need to find out more about them, and they're the ones that want to, for political reasons or whatever, give you the least amount of info. But I think BMW will make more changes next year. I think it's just a time thing. I think it's what they had the chance to do before the end of this season. You know. Yeah. Well. While Honda and BMW might be the ones giving you the least amount of information, obviously the Paddock Pass podcast giving you the most information. And in Argentina, we did a Paddock Notes show as well on the Thursday just for our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast and we give a bonus superbike show. The plan would be that for the two flyaways at the end of the season, we're going to do something similar, just a 15-minute roundup on the Thursday just for everything we're hearing around the Paddock. So make sure to check that out on Patreon as well because obviously, Gordo, We've got a week off. We've got to, the opportunity to enjoy lovely rainy weather in Scotland and Ireland, whereas Charlie has to go down to Valencia. Charlie, there is a new coffee machine in the Valencia Media Centre. This was the big upgrade I saw whenever I was down there last weekend. This is also the the one thing that's gotten me the most level of interest of a MotoGP tweet that I've had in God knows how long. I had 10 people from the paddock all, what, what, what kind of coffee is it that, whoa, whoa, that it's whoa, been upgraded whoa, 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 whoa. to? Whoa, whoa, Sorry, MotoGP is not called the Media Centre. We all know that. It's called the BS Centre. And that's why I don't go down there. I stay in the TV compound where we've got two lovely coffee machines provided by Dorna that do the most amazing espresso. So I try and stay out of that, whatever you want to call that place. The, you, you you stay out of the bullshit factory, Charlie. That's very... Smart. I haven't been in the Mergy bullshit factory for quite some time. <laughs> I can tell you, if we're on coffee in Valencia, one of the best coffees that I used to ever get in Spain when I went there, wasn't in hospitality, wasn't in some specialist cafe. It was literally in the petrol station on the way out of Valencia. I always used to have to fly to Alicante and drive up. And I'm telling you, it was awesome. It was, you've, you've got no right to believe I, it was. But when you had one of their cafe con leches, it was like, wow, I'm not going to be Gordo, that you stick to chassis. You leave the coffee stuff to me and Steve. We're the experts. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, there's absolutely no way I'm believing this, Gordo, that it's you decided true. to skew the free coffee in hospitality to go to a Repsol station to buy it. Now, fair enough, you might have needed it on the drive back up to the airport, but no one's buying this one. 
No, no, the, uh, I'd rather buy a good coffee than drink a free bad one, mate, honestly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we've had uh, more than our fair share of free bad ones during the course of this season, but uh, it is still always a good sit down with you on a Thursday for a coffee. And uh, as I said, we'll be able to bring that as a Paddock Notes show from uh, the two flyaways at the end of the season as are we well. Doing, are we doing a pre one this time, Steve, again? I like them. Uh, the, the preview review is always a very popular one um, the interesting thing with it is obviously because it's just for our Patreon supporters if we do a preview it's then just up to them to listen to it oh, before that's my favorite the one. actual that's round the, meeting that's where the best information is is in the preview one that's the one that you need to listen to and I'll tell you what I reckon this one let's try and do a preview and not mention weight limits or super concessions okay, over, over to you Charlie over to you <laughs> Yeah. Your favourite subject. It'll be a very short show. <laughs> let's ask. Let's get some of the. I'll tell you what. Let's get some people to tweet into the Paddock Pass podcast saying what are your suggestions for what they do next year. Which are, yeah, well, I tell you yeah, what. I tell you what. Actually, that. let's just let's just throw it to you just quickly for you know a very short answer from both of you. In a terrifying world, Charlie Hiscott's been put in charge of the World Superbike Championship. What's the one change that you make, Charlie? I'd ban Alvaro. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's oh, go with that. Kick him out. I'll tell you what, Gordo, what's the one change you'd make other than bringing in the Repsol coffee machine <laughs> from uh, a petrol station outside Valencia? Um, I would probably affect the revs of the Ducati, even though it's already not allowed to ref to where it was going to be, because that's been done. No one can complain. Kawasaki got lost theirs. Ducati had some revs taken off him in 19, I think. So... I would do revs and see if that makes a difference. Because if that makes a difference, it's going to mean the rest of the race is going to be fine. If it doesn't make a difference, then you'll have to do something else. I would start with revs or mapping at the top three gears. That's what I'd do. Can I just can I just say I wouldn't obviously really ban Alvaro, but I would do whatever Gordo says because he's way <laughs> way more intelligent than you and me put together, Steve. So let's just go with Gordo. <laughs> Well, that was a comedy moment well, of the day, that. Great well done, Charlie. Thanks, mate. That's an extra Christmas present for you. Oh, by the way, what are you getting this for a Christmas, Steve? <laughs> yeah, when's the Christmas dinner, Steve? You know what? I'll tell you what. I got, I got this in when, when Ashley replied to you, Gordo, saying, of course Steve's not going to get you anything. He might pick you up a free cup from hospitality or something like that. Do you know what? I'm not going to be bullied into getting you boys Christmas presents. I might well give you a free subscription to uh, Patreon for uh, the Paddock Pass podcast. That's about it. But I'm not giving I'm not giving you anything. I'm not going to be bullied into this. Podcasts have silly seasons too. And you want to be careful because it's not the only podcast out there. I mean, Gordo... Our profile's building. You know, you might not be the only podcast on offer for us next year, so you need to think hard about Christmas lunch and where it's going to be. Okay, right. I'll tell you what. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> I it's going to be a dumb dog, isn't it? <laughs> in, in, Indonesia is incredibly cheap. I'll buy us both dinner out in Indonesia because I'll tell you what, Charlie, and you know this, the... the, the and Gordo, this this isn't a word of a lie. Unlike your Repsol Honda, a Repsol petrol station being the uh, the best coffee shop, Charlie, the best Chinese restaurant I've ever gone to was in Indonesia last year, and it cost about three quid for dinner. <laughs> so I'm taking you both for Christmas dinner to the Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> we should do that. Yes, Christmas dinner. Yeah, that's a good one. Wee, happy days. I tell, right. I tell you what. 
I'm not going to lie, it works out an awful lot better for us than it does for the MotoGP lads because they're going to have to find somewhere in Valencia. And the Asador is a little bit expensive in Valencia. So uh, we'll, we'll wait and see how Dave, Neil and Adam get on with their Christmas dinner next week from uh, the Valencia Grand Prix. Obviously, Charlie, you're going to be down there as well. You could try and latch on to their Christmas dinner if you really want to. I've got more chance and, of getting uh, Christmas dinner with them than I have with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, that, that, that's probably true. Let's be honest. It's been a struggle to be able to, to get me out of the track earlier this season. They're a good, they're solid bunch of lads, that lot, I tell you. Well, I tell you what, we've been lucky with the uh, the Superbike shows this year. It's been uh, great to, to get you on as an addition for a charity. If it costs me and Gordo having to take you for, uh, for a Chinese noodles. in Indonesia, <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a cost we're willing to make. Obviously enough, Gordo, um, we've got a, a, a week until we have to fly down to Indonesia, but um, what's, the, what's the plan for you for these final two rounds? It's going to be pretty busy with a back-to-back. Yeah, um, we haven't done this kind of thing for a long time, um, and especially not at the end of the year. No, great. It's uh, I am flying down uh, Qatar. There's a lot of mucking about going between all the islands of Indonesia, um, but I'm staying with my Italian guys, all my pals from the Italian media side in a house, both in Indonesia and Phillip Island, um, which is easily the best way of doing it nowadays. Hotels are too expensive. Um, unfortunately, no holiday because... Well, with too many things to do in the way back. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Argentina was hard, but it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And to be honest, I was just in better nick coming home than I expected to be. Tired, but fine. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I love Australia. And I really miss going there for the last couple of years, you know. I just love the place. It's, it's my favourite place. It's the only I've always said it's the only place other than Scotland that I might want to live, you know. I, I have to say, I'm looking forward to going back to Australia because since Phillip Island in 2020, I've had some Australian dollars stuck in my wallet and I'll finally <laughs> be able to get to use them. But uh, Charlie, just Gordo, Gordo says there that he, he wasn't in too bad of a shape coming back from Argentina. That's probably because he wasn't on the Sunday night charter flight. That's always probably the messiest yeah, exactly flight of the year. Yeah, that's absolutely sure. And I will just say one thing about Phillip Island. I used to be my favourite round, but... Jonathan Ray informed me that, you know, the Mad Cow's Cafe is closed, which means we can't have oh. our breakfast in the morning, which was the best. The, the, whole, the whole thing about Philip Island was going and having breakfast there in the morning. So we'll have to go and find somewhere else, Steve. Yeah, we'll have to find somewhere else for Eggs Benedict. But uh, we've got a little bit of time to research that before we get to Phillip Island. Obviously, Charlie, you need to get yourself down to Valencia for the last Grand Prix of the year. Me and Gordo need to just uh, get our plans in order for our Christmas dinner in Indonesia. So until uh, we come back on the Thursday from uh, Indonesia with the Paddock Note Show, big thanks to Rental and Fly Racing for sponsoring the show. Big thanks to everyone for listening to it. And also big thank you to Aruba IT Ducati's Michael Ruben Rinaldi for joining us on the pod this week. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Tell you what, it would be literally the second you start recording, the dog goes fucking berserk because someone's called to the door, wouldn't it?